Well, we welcome a guest. Uh, where's Tristan? Uh, Tristan will be going to the Baptist Seminary after uh, today's... <laughs> Tristan's from uh, the Diocese of Jackson. Uh, welcome to Notre Dame Seminary. There's uh, usually a more formal uh, approach to our formation program here. Okay. Always a surprise. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He then said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Amen, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Dearest Heavenly Father, we know that you know everything. You know what's in our hearts, in our minds, and we pray that by the gift of your Spirit that you purify our hearts and our minds so that we can always hear your voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd. We come before you at the conclusion of this year, in this Easter season, once again celebrating the great gift of your mercy as the whole church celebrates that gift in this jubilee year. And thanksgiving for those men who will be ordained to the priesthood and the diaconate, for those men waiting to join us this fall, for those men who will be involved with a variety of pastoral ministries this summer, we ask your blessings upon them. We are mindful of those men who will continue discernment outside of the seminary. Keep them strong in their faith and keep them close to you. We come before you with all these prayers, all these intentions, through the friendship and the intercession of Our Lady as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and we are our death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That gospel passage was used uh, at the first Rector's Conference at the beginning of this year, and the context of that conference, using these words, a reflection that Pope Francis gave last summer, was asking Peter to go back to that first encounter where Andrew introduced our Lord and Peter together. Almost in a sense, Peter, do you remember that? Do you remember when we first fell in love with each other? Hold on to that relationship and that experience. For as the Lord says in that gospel, 
for where you are going now to tend my flock and to tend my sheep will ultimately take you to the cross and beyond that to God's kingdom. And so as this year comes to a close, I hope that you find time uh, in your reflection over these next weeks to discern how the Lord, the Good Shepherd, was speaking with you during this past year. Do you remember those encounters that you had with him? And maybe in your reflection, you will rediscover when those encounters actually took place. Because in the movements of a formation year, we can sometimes not be aware of how God was working in our lives. And so the fundamental question, do you love me? Jesus is asking that question, not so it hangs over our head every day, rather that our motivation for everything that we do, the motivation to serve God's people, the motivation to serve the church is rooted in our love for him and his love for us. The moment we're not aware of that, pride creeps in. The attention is refocused on ourselves. We can forget why we're doing all of this. Why did God call you to be a seminarian at Notre Dame Seminary? And if you ever forget the fact that he loves you and you love him, no wonder there can be sometimes confusion or a misstep in the way in which we're trying to serve the church. The title of this conference, Missionary Seminarians for a Missionary Church. What is the motivation for the ways in which you have embraced formation? What drives you as a seminarian? Because as, as our Lord is telling Peter, instructing him, commanding him, tend my sheep, feed them. As that is being given to him as a responsibility of the early church, what is driving Peter to accept that invitation, that assignment, that responsibility? And so this past year, in your own personal motivation of being a seminarian here, what was the inspiration? What was the drive? So what does your love look for Jesus? Because everyone in this chapel will say, I love Christ. I love him. Well, what does that look like? And as we always look for room to grow in our formation, as you establish goals for this summer so that we can continue growing in holiness, growing into being a saint, we do have to reflect on the shortcomings that occurred this past year. If I love Jesus, why did I schluff off that time to study? If I love Jesus, why was I sleeping in? If I love Jesus, why was I rushing into morning prayer? If I love Jesus, am I turning seminary lifestyle or a priesthood lifestyle into a lifestyle? As opposed to a life that's geared towards ministry and service. The discernment, as we started this year, a fundamental motivation of that discernment is that you want to be the best Catholic man that you can be. And that drive does not end at ordination. We can't check that off the list. I am now a good Catholic man. What's next? So that fundamental self-reflection, am I the best Catholic man that I can be? See, that precedes the question, have you been the best seminarian? 
this past year. I sort of capture uh, in my own reflection on what the goal of a good Catholic man is needed in our society today. The Renaissance priest, the Renaissance man. A man who is not isolating himself or his Catholic faith apart from culture because of all the craziness that we see in it. Rather, to be the best Catholic man, the best seminarian possible, is lived amongst our society, our people, and in our culture. The Renaissance man, a man who enjoys freedom, self-awareness, self-capacity, so that when he's moving through society, back in your neighborhoods, back in your parishes, and with all the troubling challenges that are before us, that I'm doing so in freedom. See, I think without displaying our formation for the purpose of calling attention to it, what the church sees as a gift in each one of you are men who are integrated as men, as Catholics, those, uh, those of you who are American as citizens, but those even living in this country, that that man is so integrated as he moves through his day, through his aurarium, through his rule of life, in such a way that we're being able to show the people of God as a form of witness what it means to be Catholic and what it means to be a joyful man. So how does the love of Christ drive you and inspire you? As I noted, uh, I think the generosity by which the church gives to us the responsibilities of what it means to be a seminarian has to be weighed against the lifestyle of a seminarian or a priest. Again, being a seminarian, has that created a sense of being a bachelor? Is priesthood simply a lifestyle? If that begins to start happening, that pointed question that Jesus keeps asking Peter, do you love me or do you love yourself more than me? Do you love your own priorities over me? Do you love your preferences over me? Do you love yourself even more than you love the church? And so most of you who are studying to become diocesan priests, what does diocesan priestly spirituality look like? Because at the end of the day, while our spirituality is being shaped and formed by the disciplines of seminary life, by the disciplines of priestly life, it's always directed towards the family, towards the people. And so that presumes that a seminarian can find his first support, his first love of Jesus amongst the people. And so the holy hour that you've observed in this chapel, the masses celebrated in this chapel, the rosaries prayed in this chapel, all of the popular piety that's been cultivated, imploring the divine mercy of Jesus in this chapel, all of that is disposing you to a spirituality that will be nourished primarily and fundamentally by the people of God. Again, for those uh, living diocesan priestly spirituality. In its opening lines of the program of priestly formation, the PPF, our bishops tell us, priesthood 
is ordered not only to the particular church, but also to the universal church in communion with the bishop, with Peter and under Peter. Through the priesthood of the bishop, the priesthood of the second order is incorporated in the apostolic structure of the church. In this way, priests, like the apostles, act as ambassadors of Christ. This is the basis of the missionary character of every priest. The universality of Jesus' priesthood, the universality of a 2,000-year tradition, fully lived in places in New Orleans, in Homotibido, in Biloxi, in Jackson. The universality of the church is placed on your shoulders, not as a burden, so that you can be an ambassador of Christ in this church into those particular moments if it's in the nursing home, if it's in the hallway, if it's back in the church. Now that obviously can only occur by God's grace. And that spirituality of being attuned to the people of God, the universality of the people of God, is a character of diocesan priestly spirituality. Therefore, discernment is always ongoing. And so your ear being attuned to the voice of Peter, Pope Francis, staying attuned to his apostolic journeys that will take place before we come back in August. What will he be saying to those people? How is that being enfleshed in my own spirituality, not mimicking necessarily what he's saying, but he expresses and makes visible the universality of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that the people of God need to see in each one of us as that ministry is being played out in front of them and for them. I've appreciated the ways in which this apostolic community this past year has been very open to the movement of the Spirit that has allowed us to stay connected to one another, but also to that universality of the church. And that always requires discernment, a discernment rooted in freedom. How free am I to be able to allow God through his church to move me, to form me, to challenge me, to uplift all the blessings that God has given to me and to uplift those areas of needed growth. I've appreciated the leadership uh, of this house, lived in so many ways by so many people. Uh, Nick Adam and all those associated with the e-board, I think has allowed us to once again have a very healthy way of being community for one another. And Blake with his election and all the e-board, the class presidents and all the other positions uh, that will allow next year this community to flourish as well. Uh, and even in a particular way, uh, Dwayne, who has, has had the authority, you might say, uh, to help get St. Joseph Hall ready uh, to entrust to an individual seminarian a $100,000 project. That represents my confidence in this entire community, that you're not just uh, members uh, of a community, that you are active participants of an apostolic community rooted in a 2,000-year tradition. And so from time to time, when I have seen that diminished, I've had to call this community to task, even this past year, only out of charity, out of love for the church, and out of love for each one of you. In doing so, I recognize my own sins, 
my own imperfections, uh, a pastor that I would like to be and a rector I would like to be and not always living up to that in many, many ways. And so I appreciate uh, your forgiveness, your charity towards me uh, as our humanity bumps into one another. And I appreciate that you can see beyond that uh, to the ways in which Jesus is priesthood to whom I'm a minister of and the rest of the priests on this faculty. So I appreciate that. In that discernment, uh, we'll be preparing, as of this morning, uh, 35 new seminarians uh, for this fall. The last couple of years, it's been closer to 40. So we pray for those men as, as they have discerned uh, the possibility of coming here to Notre Dame Seminary. We're very appreciative of those who have been engaged in discernment this past year. Philip Anglin, Kyle George, Brian O'Rourke, uh, who are concluding their discernment with us uh, as the semester ends. And we pray that their ongoing discernment, as they hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, will unfold. Uh, Luke Robachow will, uh, <laughs> will continue discernment as a layman uh, in the Master of Arts program uh, full-time. Uh, and so we'll welcome him back to the community in a different way as a fully paid tuition student. <laughs> and discernment doesn't just take place, obviously, on this campus or even just over two semesters. So it would not be a surprise that in August there may be a few others who have discerned away from the formation program. And therefore, that's why we're going to continue praying for one another, whatever those needs are. Uh, for most of you, you've been here long enough to know that the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office, is prayed for the church, and while you'll be praying specifically for the people to whom you'll be ministering to, because you have the title, the role of being a seminarian, your anchor is always back at this seminary. So please remember to pray for each other and for this seminary every day as you're praying for the wider community within your assignment. Fraternal charity I, has, been, I think, been a particular strength. I've been constantly upholding that, that Christian ancient exercise of fraternal charity. The way in which you relate that to one another, again, none of us are perfect, we're all sinners. And so when you see a brother seminarian who's beginning to flounder in some aspect of formation, uh, are you courageous enough to exercise fraternal charity? Or are you courageous enough to receive it? Or do you get defensive? You don't want to hear this. That's not a sign of a healthy community. But this has been a healthy community because you've been open to receiving and to giving fraternal charity, not just for the sake of your own individual growth, but this is a community that this community is always in service to God. And so the mediocrity of not exercising that has been avoided, and I appreciate that. One thing, we'll talk more about this next year, and even with the staff and faculty, I'm gonna to talk to them next week about this. I've been a little alarmed with the way email and texting is used for conflict resolution. That's not how men resolve issues. So, yeah, you send a text, uh, there's a question, and there's this communication. But when there's a difficulty, that's not how men resolve issues, or seminarians, or priests. 
that we blast out a text or an email to express our dissatisfaction or our discomfort with one another. Uh, no, we don't do that. Say, you've got time, we'd like to talk something through. I'd like us to be a little bit more intentional about the way in which text messaging and emails are used to promote the good of relationships and never as a weapon. Uh, now, that's never been done from you to me. Um, I have permission to do it to you, so without <laughs> particular uh, uh, But even at the level of faculty and staff, that's, I've been seeing all kinds of things. I'll address that with them. But at this stage, I would ask you to think about that. When there is something disagreeable, have we hidden behind the computer to try to have uh, a resolution that is virtual as opposed to personal. So I'd like us to think more about that for next year. I've, I, every year, I begin the year by saying that it'll, it'll be my responsibility to try to be sure that no defilement occurs in the seminary, in this community. Again, we're sinners. That's why on December 31st of every year, I celebrate a massive reparation for whatever sins occur on this campus. Uh, the new seminarians, you're given that holy water at the beginning of the year uh, in August, and that holy water is always available, not as some magical uh, uh, approach to sin, rather to ground us and to root us in our baptismal call to be able to receive God's grace so that we grow in holiness. Uh, and so, has there been defilement at Notre Dame Seminary this past year? Uh, let's reflect on ways in which that may have occurred so that we can be more attentive uh, in living in the Spirit and living in God's grace when those moments come to us. Routinely, we talk about the summer aurarium and the summer role of life. Um, some of you, we were just talking recently uh, to reiterate what we mean by aurarium. Right, so we see the Latin tucked in there, oremus, ora, time and prayer. And we've reached a point in our spirituality that the day is primarily motivated by prayer and worship. In between that is the work of the church, uh, outside of liturgy, meetings, business. But if we flip that around to say, Okay, I got morning mass, uh, and then I'll pray midday prayer later on. But really the highlight of today are these other things. That, that's an aurarium that's being diminished. It needs to be flipped around so that as you now go into a space, a rectory, a program, whatever you're participating in this summer, that you've brought with you a personal understanding of how an aurarium motivates and inspires your day, that the five hours of the Liturgy of the Hours mass and the other ways in which you're in tune with the Lord is always kept above the day. So that as you're moving through the day, the rhythm, the spiritual rhythm of the day is never lost to the temporal realities that is required for a church that exists within time and space. And so for the summer formation plan, that parish, that institution, that program may have mass scheduled at a time that is out of sync with the way in which you've been praying and worshiping to God. The liturgy of the hours, uh, the solitude that you find in praying that liturgy of the hours, how can that be preserved even though you might have a very busy day where some of those hours may even need to be prayed closer together uh, so that solitude can't be compromised. Going to confession. I've said this, the T3 guys, you just heard this already, 
but you need to be able to reach a point in your spiritual life where you're attuned to how you may have mortal sin on your soul and yet you're presenting yourself at mass for holy communion that would be something clearly not expected of the church but we get to that point where a priest you've heard me say this many 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 times has to receive communion celebrating mass we have to the sacrifice of the mass sometimes we'll even ring the bell i have to receive so in your years of formation hopefully there's obviously a discipline where you don't find yourself receiving communion with mortal sin on your soul but the challenge of how will that sacrament be celebrated we have priests literally standing outside this chapel every morning immediately to hear your confession what arrangements should you be making right now where's that parish at where's that assignment at who am i going to go to confession to should be thinking about that now not out of a sense of a, an urgency uh, of fear but rather an urgency of wanting to be in god's mercy so you may be in a parish that is an hour away from another parish what priest will you be going to again this is not for anyone's business but you're in the sanctuary maybe as a deacon uh, as a seminarian not that people should be looking or watching this but you're public within the sanctuary and what does that say to somebody when seminarians aren't receiving communion uh, you shouldn't if you have mortal sin on you but where are you going to reconcile yourself so that there isn't even the potential for scandal why isn't our seminarian it's been three days and he's not receiving communion how is it that the deacon who just preached isn't receiving communion so on the one side of that we never want to put ourselves in a situation before the lord where we have mortal sin and we're going to enter into communion but on the other side of that what am i going to do about this so that i'm a full active leader within this community that i'm called to serve this past summer so th those are some of the difficulties to be working out so that when you do become a priest when you're ordained a priest that you've addressed all of these matters contact with your formation advisor and spiritual director uh, how's that look this past year how's that going to look over the summer as well the intellectual pillar obviously there's uh, ebb and flow during the school year and, and you've heard me say this before where when i hear seminarians say the academics and the intellectual pillar that's interfering with my prayer well, there's something wrong with your prayer <laughs> there's nothing wrong with our program we're doing what the church is asking uh, flip side of that you leave here next Wednesday, Thursday, and you don't crack a book open until uh, August. There's something wrong with your intellectual pillar then. Uh, so there is an ebb and flow. So some, the intensity during an academic year is gonna require an engagement of yourself that might not have the preferences of the personal prayer that you would like, but the, the spiritual maturity of how that work is a part of your prayer and how you're disposing yourself even in those works that's touching your spiritual life to more pastoral and spiritual time, even for your human formation outside of the classroom that does not neglect the intellectual pillar. That's why your spiritual director and formation advisor, uh, that should be an important conversation that you're having with them. The ecclesial dimension of your vocation. 
What contact might you have with your bishop, your vocation director, your pastor? Uh, what proactive communication do you need to take to structures that might not be providing that contact with you? What might you need to be able to do to be proactive and staying attuned to the ecclesial dimension of your formation? Challenges to seminarians. I'm not naive to think that some of you have family issues waiting for you at home. Uh, maybe there's struggles with your parents' marriage. Maybe there's difficulty with your siblings. Maybe finances has been a struggle for your family. Maybe there's some type of abuse, substance that relates to temperance, health issues. So I recognize that you have a lifestyle and a life that's not uh, completely divided towards the seminary or attuned to the seminary. So how are those issues affecting your discernment and your formation? Uh, you need to be looking at that. Uh, certainly your emotional health, uh, those familial bonds, uh, family perceptions, especially for those of you completing your first year in the seminary. Families can still be struggling with your discernment and struggling with your status as a seminarian. Or there has been growth that's occurred in your life that they may not see. That can sometimes create friction. They still see you, use my name, Jimmy. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're, like the, you're disciplined to prayer. and you're, they, That might be a challenge because I know who you are. Don't act holier than you think you are. Don't act... I don't think that's the, being done intentionally, but that can undermine the growth that you're able to measure at during this pasture as well. The thing that really I struggle with are those priests who are uninviting. You may experience, as you may have in the past, priests who feel challenged with the type of formation that you're receiving, which may be different from the formation that was received in their time. I was in a seminary from the late 80s to the early 90s. Uh, that's a time frame and a formation uh, that I very much enjoyed, but it's different than the way the church does it today. That can create some tensions in the rectory and the presbyterate. And while the burden of a, of a presbyterate is to welcome seminarians and newly ordained, Take the high road on that. So even if you're at an ordination or you're at a gathering of priests, try to insert yourself socially into those moments. Sometimes the younger priests are in the corner, partly because they're not being affirmed. Well, be man enough to be able to, in docility, to present yourself, to insert yourself uh, in a way where priests don't feel threatened by your orthodoxy threatened by your education, threatened by your fidelity. And on the other side of that, the accumulated wisdom of a presbyterate and those priests who've been on the front lines and in the battle lines, uh, to be able to receive their advice, uh, to not think that I know more than they do. There is a, a human wisdom, surely, that's been accumulated that you would want to tap into, that you would want to be open to uh, in your own personal formation as well. Friendships. You may um, find yourself with friendships where you pick up where you left off, and maybe where you left off wasn't all that good. So as a seminarian who's received one year, three years, five years of formation, and you enter back into a social situation with friends, 
be sure that you're monitoring regression. Because sometimes our college friends, sometimes these gatherings, pick up where you left off, which takes us back five years ago, eight years ago. You're a different man than you were then. Not to be aloof and not to try to be uh, unapproachable, but try to check yourself that your maturity as a seminarian matches this environment that you find yourself in. You want to be yourself, you want to be who you are, but you are a seminarian of the church. And don't be embarrassed by that. Uh, be that of who you are. Um, as I mentioned to the T3 guys, we're moving into a presidential election. No parishioner should ever know your political persuasion. If you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're independent, they should never know that. They should not know if you've said, I'm not gonna vote, uh, or I'm gonna vote in a way in which you, it reveals who you're supporting. Now, I've been saying this this past year, every seminary who's qualified should be registered to vote. Now, in your own conscience, how you choose to exercise that or not falls under the umbrella of active citizenship, active participation in public life. What is that going to be looking like quietly as a seminarian as well? Uh, a part of the sign of the times is being attuned. What's being said? Because people may be asking you, what's the Catholic Church's stance on immigration, uh, on building the wall? Archbishop uses homily. That was a very catechetical way of addressing very real positions that the USCCB has identified. Uh, some of those are political, most of them are moral. The church has something to say about everything. So what you wanna be attuned to is what is the voice of the church on these arenas so that your personal opinion is not in conflict with the church's opinion. You are a public person of the church. So hopefully you have the answer to their question. If not, I'll get back to you on that. A lot of people may be asking a lot of questions of what's coming out of some of these political platforms. Hopefully you're prepared to be able to enter into that. Exercising the virtue of temperance. As St. Paul writes to the early church in Ephesians, we were once a people in the dark, we are now a people in the light. And that darkness is always nipping at our toes. The use of alcohol, leisure versus laziness when you do have your day off, and personal chastity. The virtue of temperance touches upon all three of those areas. Uh, and hopefully you have the self-awareness cultivated in your life right now to be aware of what temperance looks like outside of the seminary. Priestly identity. You're not priests, but you're growing in that potential identity. Social situations. When is it time to leave? Uh, the old self might stay long into the evening the early hours of the morning. When is it right for that event, that gathering to continue? But it's time for me to leave. I got night prayer. I got my examination of conscience. I've got to review my calendar for tomorrow. You don't have to say these things. But you've reached a maturity in your heart that those things can't be compromised for another drink. You're always a seminarian. And so as I've asked from time to time, why don't you take another look at your Facebook? What are the pictures that are on there? Is it reflective of a seminarian? What are the opinions that you've posted? Or are they the opinions of your bishop or your religious order? Work ethic, you represent Notre Dame Seminary. 
I would hope a pastor or a supervisor doesn't think that's what they're forming, that my personal schedule comes before the schedule of the parish or the assignment that I'm in, that this is a hard-working seminarian. And that's what I would hope that the pastor, the staff, and the people of God see. The virtue of gratitude. Get that stack of thank you cards ready. Every time you're being taken out for a meal, every time you're being invited to someone's house, uh, even kindnesses that are being displayed by your bishop or superior, some of those may be routine. Gratitude is never routine. Gratitude is a virtue. So I would hope that you've cultivated the discipline. Thank you cards, thank you cards, thank you cards. Okay, um, a few business items as we, I start wrapping up this uh, conference. We're looking forward to Father Arnone coming on faculty. He'll be a formation advisor. I'm looking forward to that because I had 35 advisees. Now, I don't teach uh, here at this seminary, uh, but I'm looking forward to taking some of the relief off of my plate uh, as well as some of the other plates as well. Uh, a seasoned pastor, a good priest, uh, I, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to welcoming him as he starts over this summer as well. He'll also be the assistant director of pastoral formation. There, there was always a position there. My first year here, uh, uh, Mario's, Mr. Sakasa's predecessor, also held part of that title. Uh, and so with increased enrollment, with increased apostolates, Father Arnoni will also be helping in that area as well. Dr. Daniela, she is a PhD theology professor at Loyola, and we were able to steal her away. Uh, her primary responsibility will be to oversee a new degree that we implemented this past year, the Master of Arts in Pastoral Leadership. Now, you know we have the regular MA, most of the people in the regular MA are, are interested in either ongoing studies or they want a, a type of theological training uh, that's captured in our MA program. But there are many other people who we want to provide a credential and a formation to that involve youth ministers, teachers, business managers, where they get a good theological basis but other formation that goes with it. So that's the Master of Arts and Pastoral Leadership. We're launching an aggressive program starting about two weeks from now within the Archdiocese and then slowly to other dioceses as well. She's going to oversee all of that. Her contribution to you all, her, her PhD is also in catechesis. I think one of the things that we all struggle with, I know Father Powell with homiletics is helping you train and how to give homilies uh, that can integrate the tradition of the church with pastoral ministry. But in other ways, a Catholic priest who's a teacher of the faith, there are pedagogies that go with different aspects of catechesis. So she's going to, I think, make a contribution primarily in our Friday formation conferences where she can bring that uh, to us. Father Michael Champagne, who is uh, a priest in the Diocese of Lafayette, is going to join us as an adjunct spiritual director. I have some arrangements with him where a, a member of his community will be a seminarian living here and to help his order out uh, with some financial costs of tuition. Uh, we already use him for the annual retreat. Uh, and we're going to use him in other ways that involve him coming here once or twice a month for maybe two, three days at a time, where he can be a spiritual director, maybe up to eight to ten seminarians. I'm also interviewing in about two weeks a Jesuit priest 
for a position that I created in my last assignment called Scholar in Residence. This is an older priest uh, who has his PhD. He'd be a resource to our teaching faculty, a resource to individual lectures. So he wouldn't teach a course that could parachute in. His background is everything from Trinity to Christology to Mariology, where he could do some lectures and work in the internal form as a spiritual director. So he'd be somewhat part-time, but living here, because uh, he wants to publish and do more research. So to give him that space and time to do that, well, we can tap into his skills. We'll see if it happens. Uh, I'll be interviewing him in a few weeks. Staff positions. Uh, I, I've been very pleased with our kitchen staff. This is my first year in four years that we've had a drama-less uh, year <laughs> in the kitchen. And like, you know, seminaries, outside of prayer and study, food uh, has a certain priority uh, in the life of the seminary. Just to give you a snapshot, our budget is $550,000. So that's uh, outside of salaries, that's the, the uh, second most uh, expensive, you might say, uh, aspect of the budget. So Sammy has done, I think, a very good job. Uh, the way it works over the summer, uh, just he, Bill, and Blaine, they're full-time. And so uh, Ashton and Janine, we'll see them back here, uh, hopefully in the middle of August. Uh, Travis, uh, this was his first year as the director of facilities. I think he's done a great job. Uh, when, when his predecessor left, I had about 25 applicants. Uh, and he came in and, uh, and presented himself as an applicant. Uh, he, he's certified as an engineer for the city of New Orleans. He's also certified as an electrician. So he actually brings a skill set from that standpoint, but he has the full support of the staff that's working with him. We'll probably be hiring another janitor, uh, probably after you get back, maybe later in the summer as we reopen St. Joseph Hall. Uh, there'll be some secretarial staff adjustments, uh, and those will be made known as the summer unfolds as well. From the program restructuring aspect, uh, congratulations to those who've been participating in the MA in philosophy. Uh, you were the guinea pigs as we were uh, working through the details of that program. Uh, the Extraordinary Form program continues to be well established. Starting in the fall, the Hispanic Ministry program, as I consult with vocation directors, will be required for incoming T1s under the direction of the vocation director so that this seminary does a better job in preparing uh, priests for Hispanic ministry. The whole St. Rita initiative, as I take that parish over July 1st as pastor, as Father Peter Finney comes on board, as the T3 of this past year provides me an executive summary, all of that information will establish the ways in which some of you will be assigned uh, for your apostolate and how the whole community is going to have a relationship. So those details will be worked out and shared with you in the fall. Capital improvements, appreciate Travis who finished the sacristy. He designed the whole lighting scheme of that. The lobby restrooms, what was Miss Issa's office, there'll be two restrooms in there. The entire mail room is going to be relocated uh, and so that'll be the men's room and the current restroom in there will be for storage. So we'll have four restrooms on the first floor. The dining room lighting starting Monday, May 9th. We're going to rip that ceiling out like we did with the sacristy. It'll have a similar look to it, much brighter with some of these pendulants in the hallway also in the dining room as well. 
right after this conference, uh, the room assignments for St. Joseph Hall, I'm going to post those with the guys that we know that are coming. Uh, please do not haggle with me. Can you put someone next to me, this over here? I'm moving on. We're done with that. So it gets posted. No exceptions to that.